a financial plan requires planning. It's savings, RRSPs, investments, and planning for the unexpected. TD Term Life Insurance can help protect your family's financial future if you were to unexpectedly pass away. You can apply for TD Term Life Insurance online or over the phone by speaking to a licensed advisor. If you're under the age of 55, you could be approved for up to $500,000 of coverage without a medical exam. Conditions apply. TD Term Life Insurance is underwritten by TD Life Insurance Company. Visit tdinsurance.com slash termlife to learn more. In the plan to reduce Canada's carbon emissions, Alberta's oil industry has always kind of stuck out a little bit. It's a major driver of the economy, but does produce a lot of emissions. And now five of the biggest players in Alberta's oil sands have announced they plan to get to net zero by 2050. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3. Calgary Herald columnist Chris Varco joins me to discuss what's behind the announcement, how the companies plan to get there, and other innovations in Alberta's energy sector that could help capitalize on low carbon opportunities. Don't forget, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google. We're even on Amazon Music now. Don't forget to leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Chris, it's been a rather interesting year in Alberta and in the oil patch, and there's been, you know, rocky times for the energy industry, whether it's the price of oil, whether it's concerns about the environmental record. And so we got kind of a big, almost surprising announcement last week from some major players in Alberta's oil sands. I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what this group of companies announced. Well, what we saw last week was five of the largest oil sands producers in the country. And we're talking about the heavyweights now, Suncor Energy, Canadian Natural Resources, Sonovus Energy, Imperial Oil, and MEG. Five companies have decided to form an alliance and they're going to work together towards the objective of reaching net zero emissions. Now, most of these companies, in fact, all of them other than Imperial had individually set net zero aspirational goals or targets over the last couple of years. In fact, Imperial just at their annual meeting a few weeks ago had actually rejected the net zero emissions goal, mainly because their majority shareholder, Exxon Mobil, was not in favor of it. But they've all agreed to work together to reach this goal. And I think what really people need to understand here is this is 90% of the actual production coming out of the oil sands is represented by these companies. They emit about 68 megatons of emissions annually. And they have set the goal that they're going to work together and try and reduce these emissions. I think It's something that's got a lot of people paying attention to it, just given the size and scale of who these companies are and the resources that they can parlay together to try and reach this goal. When you talk about the idea of net zero, we're talking about the plants themselves, like the production and extraction of the oil sands, that operation, those are, that's what they're talking about when they say that we're going to be net zero, right? Correct. And and just so people understand what they mean by net zero, it doesn't mean that all of these facilities will have zero emissions, but that there will be other pieces of technology, like, for instance, carbon capture utilization storage, that will allow them to effectively get to carbon neutrality once you sort of take both sides of the ledger into account. But when you extract oil from the ground, the idea is you're going to refine it and use it to produce things like, say, gasoline that will be then burned in vehicles and produce their own emissions. This doesn't cover downstream impacts from oil sands, correct? That is correct. That's my understanding, yes. So there's been a lot of talk of the idea of the reputation that oil sands oil has, and there are environmental campaigns 
that want to see it locked in, like keep it in the ground. Do we get a sense that this announcement, this net zero announcement is going to help the reputation of Alberta's oil industry to the point that you may see some criticism of it fade away? That's a complicated question. I think you're going to see some acknowledgement, and in fact, you already are, in fairness, seeing some acknowledgement by some of the environmental groups and think tanks about the fact that these goals are set in place. But it also comes with several sort of provisos. One of those being is that they're going to have to set interim targets. They're going to have to disclose how they're going to get to those interim targets. So I think we've now gone beyond the point of people and companies, rather, just being expected to set net zero targets aspirationally. Now they're going to have to come up with the details Mm -hmm. of how they're going to get there. And I think this is just the first step or maybe the second step on a very long journey to get us to these targets. I mean, if you think of where the federal government is standing right now, they've set a target that we're going to see overall emissions in this country fall by 40 to 45% by the end of this decade. That's just the 2030 goal. Then, of course, we have the net zero goal by 2050. So if you think of the 2030 goal, companies are going to have to start making major investments, whether it's in things like using solvents in the oil sands or in carbon capture utilization in storage or direct air capture. Like We're going to have to have investments being made right away. So that's why I say I think there's a recognition that they've taken you know a fairly significant step there, but there's still going to be pressure on all fossil fuel industries and certainly the oil sands to get towards those goals and demonstrate that they can get towards those goals as well. What's been the political response? You know, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney canceled the NDP carbon tax. They brought in their own program, the tier program to deal with heavy emitters. What has he said about the idea of net zero? Well, the Premier was asked about this last week and his response was interesting. He said, this is an audacious goal But he also said, let's be honest, there is no easy path to achieving that goal. And the application of technology is the solution. So I think there's A, an acknowledgement that they've taken this step, and that's an audacious step. But B is, there's no sort of silver bullet here that the industry can just grab and say, okay, here's how we're going to get there. This is going to take a multi-year approach with billions of dollars investments in multiple kinds of technologies and other applications to try and reach this objective by 2050. Now, when we're talking about Alberta's oil industry and specifically the oil patch, how big is its emissions output per year? And where does that rank in terms of all of Canada's emissions? Well, the oil industry, the entire oil and gas sector in the country, makes up about a quarter of the entire country's total emissions output. Mm -hmm. And it has been rising since 2005. In fact, I think it's been about a 17% increase in their overall emissions in the last 15 years. And that is simply because the fact that we've had a huge increase in oil sands production over that 15 to 20 year period. So although the oil sands is reducing their emissions per barrel, as Kenny pointed out last week, that the companies have reduced their emissions per barrel by about 30% since 2000, the overall emissions has actually been increasing. So that's why the oil industry, as I said, the largest emission source right now sitting about 26%. One of the big concerns with Canada's oil industry has been this idea of building pipelines. And, you know, there was talk of a pipeline to the east, Energy East. The idea got cancelled. The Northern Gateway pipeline got cancelled. And we just last week, the same day that the news about the net zero announcement came out, TC Energy and the Alberta government officially terminated the Keystone XL project. Do we get a sense that even if the oil companies reach these net zero targets, that there's still going to be a lack of an appetite for new pipelines? 
I think that the companies themselves still want and would say that they need to see additional pipeline capacity. And that's why we're seeing projects like the Line 3 replacement project being built right now in Minnesota go ahead, as well as why we're seeing the Trans Mountain project go ahead into the West Coast. So the two issues are separate in the sense that the producers need to see market access. Mm -hmm. But I think they're connected in the way that you're still going to see pressure on all oil and gas infrastructure and on all producers from the forces which want to see the emissions being reduced and to block the production by going after the pipeline infrastructure. Like those two things are going to continue down the same path. So yes, we will see companies like Suncor, like Synovus, like Canadian Natural Resources trying to reduce their overall emissions. But on the same token, I don't expect you're going to see any sort of lightening of the pressure being put on pipelines. So whether it's KXL, and we saw what happened there last week, or we continue to see pressure being put on line three with protests in Minnesota, or even on existing infrastructure. For instance, what we're seeing in Michigan with the Michigan governor trying to shut down Enbridge's line five project, an existing piece of infrastructure. So I I suspect you're going to see both of these trends continuing on into future years. And this is despite the fact that with all the talk that we need to stop burning fossil fuels, we need to find other sources of energy, that oil demand hasn't really abated. And when you talk about pipeline capacity, these pipelines are still running full. Where are we in that argument between getting off of the carbon roller coaster and meeting global demand for oil? Well, we saw with the COVID pandemic last year that oil demand fell very sharply. We went from about 100 million barrels a day globally in terms of the total demand uh, down to about 92, 93 million barrels a day. The IEA and other groups are now expecting that we're going to you know, be somewhere in that 98 million barrels a day mark some point this year and that demand will basically fully recover in the next year or two to where we were before. And then beyond that, I guess the question is, will we see demand grow in the next three, five, 10 year period of time? But the other side of that equation is, is that there's going to continue to be pressure globally. And we're seeing this with the international commitments, whether it's, you know, the Paris Accord or the upcoming COP form, that the industries are going to have to reduce their emissions. And that's going to continue to put pressure on the fossil fuel sector, whether it's the coal sector, whether it's natural gas or whether it's oil. And, and that's going to continue. You talk about the idea of technological innovation helping Alberta's oil patch, but You know, there are other energy sectors in Canada where you're starting to see investment and you're starting to see the potential of a different future for Alberta. And a lot of that comes down to hydrogen. What is it about the hydrogen market now that is allowing Alberta to position itself as a place where companies can come and invest? Alberta's got a number of advantages on the hydrogen front that other jurisdictions don't have. Number one, we've got the resource. Second thing is we've got expertise from the oil patch. So that is, you know, very critical as well. You've got companies already beginning to move on this front or already moved on this front. And and I'm assuming you and I are probably going to chat here very quickly about the announcement, the big announcement on a hydrogen facility up in the Edmonton area that was announced last week. Mm -hmm. So on the one side, you've got, uh, I would say for this province's energy industry, you've got the ongoing pressure that they've got to reduce emissions and that they've, you know, they're going to have to deal with this issue. But The flip side is, and this is really, I think, what we're hearing from the federal and provincial government, is that there's a huge opportunity, a huge investment opportunity to lower emissions and then drive it down to net zero per barrel. And that way you can compete globally, not just on a cost basis, how much it costs you to produce energy, but how much it actually costs, but how carbon effective you are. 
can you compete on a carbon basis? And that's where hydrogen, in part, I think, plays into this discussion. As you mentioned, you know, Pennsylvania-based air products announced plans to build a $1.3 billion net zero hydrogen production complex in Northeast Edmonton. How significant is it to see that kind of investment in hydrogen and how does it help Alberta with its net zero goals? Well, first off, Air Products is a huge company. I mean, they operate in 50 countries. They have a $65 billion market capitalization and they're going to bring some of their newest technology for a net zero hydrogen production and a liquefaction complex in Northeast Edmonton. I believe the expectation is that they're going to begin operate in 2024. So it's a big company with very good expertise. They're already operating in this province. I think they've got three hydrogen facilities. This is a different kind of technology than some of the older technology they're using. This facility is going to capture more than 95% of the carbon dioxide that's emitted from the natural gas that they're going to use as feedstock to create so-called blue hydrogen. And uh, then they're going to uh, capture the emissions and inject them underground and then hydrogen fuel power, electricity is going to offset the remainder of that 5%. And then they're going to be able to take the additional electricity that they produce and export it into the provincial grid. So you've got a big scale project that's moving forward. And I think a lot of other people are going to be watching this. I think this is just the first of many announcements. You know, I follow these things as closely as I can, but I don't necessarily understand. It feels like a gold rush, this hydrogen rush. What is it about hydrogen that makes it so lucrative? And, you know, when you talk about electricity, is this the kind of thing Alberta needs to wean itself off coal-fired plants? And that helps the province on the whole. Two sort of separate issues there, although they obviously merge together. Maybe I'll deal first off with the hydrogen. I mean, hydrogen can be burned and it doesn't create emissions. So that's sort of the attractiveness of it. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right, though. There's a lot of hype about hydrogen. And I know many people who've been in the industry for a long time kind of say, well, we've heard the hype before, you know, 10, 20 years ago, massive investments that were made down in the United States and other jurisdictions. But I believe that this time, most people believe that hydrogen holds a key role in getting to net zero emissions. We've seen it, you know, referenced in IEA reports and uh, companies. We saw the federal government bring out a blueprint on hydrogen and the provincial government is working on its own blueprint as well. And, you know, you've got serious players, as I'd mentioned with this company here, or we've got just in an all Alberta example, we've got companies like Suncor and Atco working together, looking at the potential for hydrogen as well for their own kind of facilities. So you've got some serious players with serious money being devoted towards that. On the second part of it, which is your question about the province's coal emissions, I think most people believe that the response that we're going to see here from coal, and we're already seeing it, is that electricity generators have already begun to transition away from coal. And in fact, we're going to be completely off of coal-fired generation, I believe, by the end of 2023. you got companies like Capital Power and Transalta already converting and using natural gas. So I believe that's what they believe is sort of the short-term answer, along with a huge build-out of the renewable power, both wind and solar in this province. And we're already seeing massive amounts of investment. I believe it's like $2 billion of investment that have been announced on the renewable side in the last couple of years. So a lot of different factors are going to meet that. But I do think renewables and in the sort of midterm, natural gas is seen as the way of getting Alberta off of coal firepower. Well, we're all trying to make our way through transitions like that. Fossil fuel is still a big driver of the Alberta economy. In early 2020, the price of oil really hammered Alberta's bottom line and Alberta's economy. Where are we at right now? Are we seeing kind of a return to pre-pandemic levels in terms of prices and the potential for positive growth in Canada this year? 
I would say that what we're seeing on oil markets right now is actually better than what we saw pre-pandemic. So if you go back to the beginning of 2020, we saw oil prices sort of enter the year around $60. And then as we saw the pandemic take place around the world, global demand fell precipitously in oil prices, not only dropped into sub-20 territory for benchmark West Texas Intermediate Crude, it actually went in one remarkable day in April down into negative $37. But since that point, it's been on a pretty steady climb. And if you go to the beginning of this year and beyond, we've seen oil move from, I believe, around $50 over to $70 a barrel for West Texas Intermediate Crude. And we've also seen Western Canadian select prices really move as well. So a huge turnaround in oil price fortunes for the oil and gas producers. And in Canada, we've seen those benchmark prices go up as well. Is that in part driven by the fact that as economies start to reopen, that there's going to be an increased demand for fossil fuels or what's behind that price surge? Yes, I think that is definitely part of it is what we're seeing demand really begin to pick up. And we're already seeing in the United States some of the areas that were a little slower to react. Like, for instance, uh, you know, we had gasoline and jet fuel, you know, initially took a big hit. Gasoline has come back, but now we're seeing jet fuel levels come back as well. I think there's an expectation that there's a fair bit of pent-up demand for air travel around the world. And so that's going to respond. So that's sort of the one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is we've got OPEC and other producers have shut in production or are managing production. And there's a lot less investment that has gone on in the oil and gas sector in the last 18 months or so, 12 months for certain. And so that is also having an impact. It's never boring times when you're talking about oil in Alberta. Chris, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Chris Varco. More from him at calgaryherald.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.